Chances are you've been spending these sunny summer days playing in the garden. Today, we speak to an entrepreneur who turned gardening into a big business. In fact, establishing a multi-million dollar family floriculture business right here in New Hampshire. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business New Hampshire Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matt. Yes. Happy summer. Happy summer. Well, happy like, oh, sort of been... mid-summer. I don't know. Depend, you know. It's been beautiful. I know. And and, and yeah. Exactly. The sun is shining. Exactly. It, I, 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 we have been outdoors and loving it. Good. Do you, um, do you work in the yard? Or, I mean, like, do you... you I know, have a hammock in the yard. You have a hammock in the yard. I, I guess I should I say... I enjoy that immensely. Do you not, not, not that do you work from your hammock, but, like, <laughs> do you enjoy yard work or, or you know, planting flowers and beds and things like that? Um, or is that not your jam? My wife is. Okay. I am not so much a gardener. I enjoy having a garden. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I love flowers. The end I result love, of it. I love yeah. the end results of yeah. it. I'm not so much into the weeding and the planting and all mm. that. M- m- my wife, her parents, um, when she was growing up, they had he- like, and still to some extent too, huge gardens. Beautiful. Like it was fenced in. It nice. took up half the yard. Nice. I mean, it was like a second job. Mm. Um, so she likes having <laughs> it. Um, and I'm like, have at it. Um, yeah. But, you know, we were lucky in that when we bought the new house, which mm-hmm. was in winter. So you never know what's going to oh come up. Oh my gosh, right. You're like, And how hmm. much working you have to do. What a surprise. Well, I mean, the people before us had really good taste. And all of a sudden, like, we have flowers coming up at different times during the, the season. They've been gorgeous. We've had everything from tulips to daffodils. to. It's just been like this, like wonderland discovery in our yard so I have to say, and, the, and the great thing is we didn't have to do anything right, more of it right. like there's still some stuff we're gonna do we're gonna, be gonna do some visiting yeah. of the you know the garden a local garden place to i think next season to get ready um but it's been awesome what about you i'm mean, you oh. i know have been doing some work well i did some of it yeah yeah we um we as our listeners probably know from us talking way too much about it we bought our house in december <laughs> And our backyard, we lived there for like five years. So, of course, what do you do when you live somewhere for a while, whether you own it or not? You make this giant list of things that you want to do. And number one on my list and my wife's list was we need to like figure out the backyard, whatever that means. Because it was like this weird tiny backyard with these like raspberry bramble and these humps of soil and a bunch of – it just didn't work. It didn't work. It wasn't big. It wasn't, you know, something you can run around and play in. Now it's – like huge and I took down a bunch of trees and then we had a bunch of fill brought in and they planted grass and they made an area for our kids to play and um, then we cut a bunch of beds out in front and had all these like this old foundation planting pulled out so I have a ton of work cut out for me because I need to like plant all those beds in the fall just going to try to make them look nice in between now and then and then just do some planting in the fall my wife wants to do bulbs and this and that do I love to work outside I guess now I have to say yes I do (laughs) If I said no, people would be like, well, what the heck is his problem? I will say, though, as much as I'm not, you know, a, a big outdoor cat, as yeah. it were, um, there's something satisfying that after you're done and you see, it just makes it feel like home. You yeah. know, it goes from being this just yard to being, you know, something you really appreciate that, no, it's you know, true. like yeah, I'm washing the dishes and you look out and you see all these beautiful flowers and it's like, it just makes you feel 
good it about does. the day. It does. Exactly. We're looking out the window and seeing the grass grow. I hate growing grass, but, you know, and that's what happened. what's happening in the backyard right now. So... Um, and kind of today we have a guest that's going to, he's like the candy man of gardening. He like, is. He, he is. He helps bring all that loveliness into I gotta, our yard. I got to tell our listeners, they remember probably, again, because we talk about it too much, that I worked at a garden center when I was started when I was 12 years old until I was like 18. I grew up in that business and in that industry and my dad was in it and all this. The the one of the the brand essentially that they created. I remember this, you know, seeing it growing up and being like, "Ooh, this is like the premier flower. These are the nice ones," you know. And he's here. He's here, and it, it was all developed and grown here I know, in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. So come on, I am geeking out today, big time. Our guest this week is Henry Huntington, president and CEO of Pleasant View Gardens, a nationally recognized grower, marketer, and innovator of floriculture. He, along with his brother, have grown Pleasant View Operations, are founders of the Proven Winner brand, Leaf Farms, and Plant 21, all which are businesses focused on innovations in the greenhouse industry. Henry, welcome. This is so cool. Thank you very much for inviting me here in that amazing introduction. I'm not sure that it's as crazy or as wonderful as that, but uh, I'm thrilled to be here well. and, and uh, love to talk about our business. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's... Not necessarily, I would say, an industry that um, people would think about as an industry that continuously innovates and all this, right? I mean, you know, it's it's plants and flowers, and yeah, there's some innovation there. But um, so, why don't you first start with the story of Pleasant View Gardens? Your parents, um, as as we found out, purchased the business in 1976 in a big move from Connecticut to New Hampshire. So, what's the what's the rest of that story and and the the growth here? Sure. So I grew up in Fairfield in Westport, Connecticut, and we were one of the last farmers in that area. And uh, we were on family land that was very valuable, and the family wanted to move on and, and take advantage of that, of that valuable land. And so as a family, we were the only ones farming that land, and we needed to find another opportunity. Uh, we were in the we were in the uh, had a roadside market and customers like Martha Stewart and Paul Newman were our customers. Oh, wow. that's, a, that's a story for another day. Cool, cool. Um, but anyways, we uh, long story short, we looked for an opportunity, found Pleasant View Gardens here in Loudon, New Hampshire. Mm. Uh, very small, less than twenty thousand square feet of greenhouse. Oh, wow. Now we have uh, almost a million square feet of greenhouse. Oh, wow. So you can see the trajectory that we that yeah. we had. Yeah. Um, and moved to New Hampshire, uh, tried a number of different things, but you're you know, talking about innovation, that's really what what allowed us to grow because because we were always looking for opportunity to try to innovate our business, try to bring exciting new varieties and genetics into the marketplace mm -hmm. that would, mm -hmm. would not only um, sell better in the marketplace, but the number one object for us was to make gardeners successful. And so we looked really hard to find good varieties that not only we could grow in the greenhouse, but that consumer could put in their yard and have great success and want to come back and buy more yeah. the next year. Amen to that. So you're not, and clarification for our listeners, a retail outlet, is that right? You're, you're wholesale in the industry. That's correct. To other retail outlets. Correct. We, we are wholesalers to two different 
types of businesses. One mm-hmm. is to that retail garden center. So your independent garden center that you find all over all over the state and all over the country. Uh, but we also sell to other growers. Ah. So we propagate our plants. We start our plants. Most of them are started by a, a cutting, a small Unroot, what we call an unrooted cutting, mm-hmm. and we take those unrooted cuttings, we we stick them into soil, we put roots on them, mm-hmm. and then we sell them to other growers to grow on from there. There it is, yeah. And so um, you, you developed this proven winner brand. Can you talk about what it took? I mean, because it's a competitive industry, there all kinds of places to go and buy flowers and plants and such, um, and. All across the country, there are wholesalers that are, are, are doing this. Um, but you've grown this into a multi-million dollar business here in New Hampshire. Um, what, it, how did it, what did it take to develop that brand and this business? Well, it's, you know, Matt, it's like any other business. You're, you're always looking for opportunity and, and putting, putting your place, yourself in the right place at the right time. And, and I was working with a number of growers around the country, uh, in in particular, a grower out in Michigan and one in California, uh, and we were both kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. We were looking for new, exciting genetics to bring into the marketplace, and we thought, "Gee, what would wouldn't it be a great idea to to do this together and market these plants together?" And the whole idea was to bring these plants, new plants, new genetics, uh, proprietary protected plant material uh, into the marketplace. And let's just uh, let's come up with a name and we'll do it together. And we said, "Oh, Proven Winners is a fun name. Let's you know <laughs> that means something. Mm-hmm. So let's do that." And we came together. We developed um, developed this product. We we introduced new plant genetics like the trailing petunias that you mm. see all over the place. Proven Winners introduced those into the United States market. Uh, we worked directly with the the breeder that that bred those those um, trailing petunias. So we brought those into the marketplace, and the consumers got so excited. It was something new and fresh, and all of a sudden we realized, gee, maybe we don't have just this industry brand. Maybe we have a consumer brand, and that's when we really took off and said, let's talk to the consumer. Let's tell them how successful they can be. Let's show them how successful they can be with this product. And, and that's, that's really how it grew. We were in a, the right place. Nobody was introducing genetics like we were. Mm-hmm. And, and we just, we hit the market yeah. at the right time. Yeah. When, now, when you say genetics, I mean, you know, we, I think people maybe gasp a little bit when they hear like, you know, genetically modified, things like that. But genetics has been par- a part of, I would say, you know, plants and, and, and that industry for a long time with like hybridization or, you know, creating a, a taking two pieces of a tree and creating a different type of, of tree. So can you kind of explain that in the industry, in your industry? Sure, absolutely. And and yes, you're, you're right. I mean, sometimes that word genetics, uh, you know, get linked to GMO mm-hmm. and, and, and all of the products that we do um, are not, are all GMO free. What we're talking about with genetics is traditional breeding, mm-hmm. is traditional plant breeding so where you're you're taking pollen from one plant and and fertilizing another plant with with that with that pollen and creating new varieties so yeah. and and what that does is it creates new habits new colors mm-hmm. um, just you know a different way to grow you know that those plants will grow and so it's it's whether it's bees or somebody else moving pollen from one plant to another it's traditional uh-huh. breeding and, and, and very, very conventional in yeah. terms of how it's done. Cool. Cool. Now, I, 
I want to talk a bit about your customers. You, you touched on that, but who are your customers? You know, uh, are, is it the big box stores? Is it the smaller mom and pop um, plant sellers? Who, who are your customers? Yes to all of those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah. But interesting, all in a different way because um, – so take the big box uh, companies, yeah. uh, those retailers there. Now, they have specific growers across the country that grow mm. just for them. But because of the brand of Proven Winners and they want those flowers in their garden center, they spec Proven Winners to their growers. Okay. Oh, okay. And so their growers buy from us. Mm. And so Proven Winners is in those is in those markets, but we're not selling directly. We're selling through their growers. Now we'll sell to other like a small retail uh, a retail grower who has some greenhouses in the backyard and has a garden center up front. So we're selling we're selling young plants, the small plants to them um, for them to grow on and sell in their in their garden centers. And then we're also doing the same thing the growers that we sell to are doing, taking those small plants, transplanting them into larger containers, and then we finish those and sell them to garden centers throughout New England. So we ship young plants throughout the entire country. Mm. Our primary market is, is the eastern seaboard, and that's our young plant business. And then our, then our finished or garden-ready, uh, a plant that's ready for the consumer to plant in the garden, those are sold through gar- to garden centers throughout New England and New York. So uh, what are some of the bigger names, uh, retailers that you're being sold in? Where would people know... Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, everywhere, um, all the the what we refer to as the three the three big boxes: Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, mm, all wow. carry proven winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then there's there's large large independent chains around the country. They have the product. Mm-hmm. And then every garden center um, uh, that you can from here name to Timbuktu, from, <laughs> here, from here to Timbuktu, absolutely. Wow, yeah. cool. Um, so you talked a little bit earlier about the that that. Uh, eastern seaboard uh, breadth that you have. Um, can you talk a little bit in in, in getting that national reach? Um, what's been sort of the key to growing that distribution? And, and and you know, from New Hampshire all the way down the eastern seaboard. Now, are you when you say shipping? Are you are they driven down on trucks or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of the above. So um, <laughs> we we ship we ship with FedEx. We put plants in a box and ship them across the country. Mm. But like to the major growers, some of those those what we call mega growers mm-hmm. that are supplying the box stores, um, we'll ship them via truck um, to their locations. And when you talk about mega growers, I mean we think we're big at a million square feet. We've got one of our customers. We could we could fit. We could fit our greenhouses into like one fifth wow. of the size of their oh operation. Gosh. I mean, so so these these growers that are supplying the box stores are are huge, and so we'll you know we'll ship down in South Carolina, North Carolina. We'll ship to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, where these mega growers are, and, and we'll put those on our own trucks and ship to there. Yeah, yeah. So um, to. I would say maybe pull out a little bit more. I want to. I want to dig into a couple of other areas of of success that you've had. One of those is um, is Leaf Farms, which you've since sold. But in 2017, you started Leaf Farms, which is a hydroponic facility that grows more than was it one and a half million pounds of fresh greens each year. Um, and for those who may not be aware, 
first of all, what is hydroponics? And then on to the story of, of the leaf and its success. Sure. So, uh, so hydroponics is basically it's, it's growing plants uh, in, without soil. So you're, you're typically, there's different kinds of hydroponics, but the basic premise is that you're using a nutrient solution that those plants are growing in or continually uh, spritz with a nutrient solution. Um, and so, um, and, and they tend to, you can grow them more compactly. You can tend to grow them more quickly because you're like, it's just directly putting nutrients to those plants. So it's, you know, it's pretty intensive growing. So yeah, you know, we were, uh, you know, like we had nothing to do. So we said, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's start another business. Right? Going on. Yeah, what the heck? Not? So, but you know, we've been in flowers and love, love our, our business, love our industry, but we also, you know, uh, want to get back to our roots, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, and, uh, and grow, you know, and grow some food products as well cool. and be able to, you know, we saw the movement of, of local, the whole local food movement, and, and we saw more and more product being grown inside in northern climates. Um, and so we, we saw that as an opportunity and, uh, and started Leaf Farms. And again, wanted to do something unique and different than, than what everybody else was doing, right? Mm. So it was really all about, um, you know, our goals were to come up with a really unique product, um, you know, high value that the consumer loved and was willing to, um, to, to pay, you know, pay good money for, um, because they saw the value and, and then just get the, a really delicious product. And we were able to achieve that with, with Leaf Farms. It was a very unique, unique product and we were quite successful. And I also think it speaks to that innovation part too. I had the pleasure of being able to tour, uh, the, the, um, greenhouse, uh, when you first opened, it was technologically a very advanced operation. You didn't need many people to operate because it was almost fully automated with an assembly line of, can you talk a bit about the technology that went into that facility and how it worked? Sure. Yeah. And, and that was, that was a key piece to us deciding to get into that business because we knew we needed to be very automated that, mm-hmm. that the, the la- you know, too much labor would be just too expensive for that product. So we needed a way to be very efficient about how we, how we produce that product. So yeah, start to finish completely automated. Um, we, we actually went to Europe, uh, to Finland and found this system wow. that they were using over there already. Uh, and it, and it basically we grew in a long gutter, long, thin gutter, um, that we, we put a tiny bit of soil in just to hold the seed in place. And we sowed the seed automatic, you know, with machines, sowed the seed into those gutters. Those gutters went via conveyor out into the greenhouse. And then in a matter of about 14 days from sowing, germinating that seed to finish, to being able to cut those greens and put them in a package was about 14 days. So in all, all automatic. So once that seed went into that, that growing gutter, it was untouched by human hands until it went into the packaging. Like automatic, water, automatically, watering everything. systems, the whole bit, it, everything. It, it was quite amazing. Yeah, and and again, it was it was very intensive, dense al- agriculture. So, in in one acre of of, uh, of greenhouse, we were producing what it would in a in a year in a twelve month period, we were producing what would take sixty plus acres of conventional growing to produce that kind of quantity. So we were talking about Leaf Gardens and uh, how, how and why you started it. Can you talk about what you grew that business into and then 
we'll talk about your decision to sell with that, Matt. <laughs> sure. So um, again, you know, one of the goals was was to create a brand, mm-hmm. and we wanted to be pretty, you know, unique, like we were doing with Proven Winners. You know, a very high value product, something that the consumers recognized. Uh, and really wanted, uh, you know, enjoyed it, felt like they were getting a good product and come back and buy some more. And I think we we really were pretty successful in, in accomplishing that goal. So, um, you know, so so we we were were successful um, right from the start. We couldn't we couldn't produce enough product uh, right from the start. The demand was great. We were in all the major supermarkets, Market Basket, Shaw's, uh, Hannaford. Stop and shop. We were in all plus a ton of independent gro- uh, uh, supermarkets or or mom and pop stores, and we were also doing a food service. So we were selling to Cisco and and those wow. those types of places mm-hmm. as well. So we could be in restaurants and hospitals and schools and all that. So so we were we felt very fortunate. We were it was successful right from the start. The what what we found um after you know about 5 years that we were into it and and we were doing well you know i had accomplished i had built a brand i had produced a great product and then that big one about making money <laughs> uh, that was that was the elusive goal right oh. um because it it's so capital intensive mm-hmm. i mean that system was so expensive and we were after 5 years we were right in a point where we were starting to be cash flow positive and mm. we were you know we were starting to make some money and it was feeling pretty good but we knew to really take this thing to another level, it was all about scale. We needed to scale it up. Mm-hmm. And it was. And the idea was that to do that, it was going to take so much capital to do it. And, and that, so that was a big decision to make. Do we, when could we borrow, do we borrow the money? Could we borrow mm-hmm. the money? Or do we bring in some, you know, some private equity, some outside investors? And we just were in a position that we weren't really excited about doing that. We were... You know, I didn't want to go work for somebody, you know, right. and so, so we, you know, but, but we were in a, in a point where we needed to make a decision. Luckily, these folks at a company called Bright Farms came along and they were looking to expand into New England. So they had already had five, four, five farms around the, around the East Coast and they were, lo- and they were not in New England and they wanted to expand into New England. So they approached us and, um, you know, it just felt like the right thing at the right time. I mean, it's it it it's very bittersweet because I loved what we did and what we were able to achieve. Um, so it was tough to see my baby go, but um, <laughs> but you know, I think it's for the better because they've got plans to to take our one acre facility and turn it into like twelve acres of growing. So wow, it'll awesome. be a huge huge operation. Awesome. Um, one of your other ventures, and we touched on this a little bit, but um, the is based around genetics is Plant 21. Can you talk a little bit about that business and sure. what, what you're doing um, there? You bet. Uh, Plant 21 uh, is actually now a breeding company called WinGen. We've we kind of had two breeding companies and we've merged them together to a, into a company <coughs> called WinGen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's based out of um, Austin, Texas. And we we breed, do our, our breeding. So, yep. so we do breeding there. We also have a facility in Costa Rica where we breed down there. Nice. So, wow. so they're constantly breeding new plants um, and that, that we're evaluating uh, uh, f- to be a potential uh, proven winners variety in, in, you know, in a coming year. Wow. From, from the point of breeding to, uh, to market, mm-hmm. 
is probably minimum five to six years. Wow. Um, so okay. it's, it's a pretty big process. Um, R&D in the meantime. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Invest a ton in R&D. So what does it take to, to for a product to be selected? I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that means there's some that you tried and went not so much. So what is what determines a, a proven winner for you? That's a great question, and it'll probably blow your mind when you hear how many plants we we actually trial that that could become a proven winner. So as I said, you know this breed we we breed plants, and we we will literally get thousands of I mean tens of thousands of plants. Breeders will select through them, get them down to maybe two thousand plants, and select through them. And then eventually we trial them. We, Pleasant View mm-hmm. Gardens and our partner out in Michigan, will trial them. And by and that's after a four-plus, five-year period. And then in that kind of last phase of trialing, we'll probably have three, two, 3,000 plants of all kinds of different varieties, all kinds of different genera that, that we're trying. We might pick... 20, 25 plants oh out gosh. of that wow. to be introduced wow. as approval winners. Yeah. So the R&D is intensive, but again, we're trialing them to so that we can grow them, that they'll grow well, they'll be something different, mm-hmm. a new color, a new habit, something that that you know will spark the, the consumer's eye. Um, but then the most important thing, again, as go back to what I said earlier, is it's got to have consumer, uh, it's got to be able to grow for the consumer. So consumer success. So we're trialing it. We put them in gardens. We put them in containers. We do all kinds of trialing to make sure that that consumer in their normal conditions of consumer gardening, it will be a success. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's why we narrow it down um, because we do not want to put that proven winner's name on it, that stamp on it, mm. unless it can have success in the garden for the consumer. So cool. is there anything new you rolled out this summer? Oh, gosh. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> People ask me that all the time. And we've got a lot of new petunia varieties um, that were that were, super petunias is what we call them. Um, uh, we've got some amazing – we have a variety called Vista Bubblegum This that is just <laughs> amazing. It's this, this bright pink variety that just will take over your garden and, like, nobody can kill it. So, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's wonderful. But it's funny because people are always asking me, what, what are you introducing this year? And – we're we're like two years ahead of what the consumer, <laughs> you know. So it's like I'm always like scratching my head, like what's I, uh, what, what yeah. am I supposed to be telling them? Because I can't remember which variety is which. <laughs> and to you, it feels like so long ago, right? Like oh, that finally yeah, rolling yeah. out. <laughs> That's selling that well. Five years ago. Yeah. Right? Jeez, cool. Yeah. Um, I've got so in the in the uh, sort of introduction we mentioned that your parents moved here from Connecticut. You've obviously uh, talked about that story, but um, what has kept you guys here as you know doing business in New Hampshire? Because you could honestly do business in a lot of different places, and there could be maybe a lot more open land for more greenhouses, or maybe an easier or different situation. Why New Hampshire? Sure, because um, it was there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was already there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, but it, it's, it's been a great place to do business. I mean, um, we've had a lot of, a lot of good support in our community for our, for our business, and New Hampshire's been, been good. Um, you know, it's nice to be, sometimes it's nice to be the big fish in a smaller pond, mm, you know. Yes, sometimes yes. it's nice to be the other way. But yeah, um, sure. 
Sure. I mean, so so we've continued to to grow. We're we are a family business mm-hmm. that um, uh, we we talked about, and my parents started it. We are now in the third generation. So we have I have kids in the business. My brother has kids in the business now, nice. and so and they want um, to be in the business. And they want to be Good. in the business. Good. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you know we're going through that fun transition phase that, <laughs> that uh, anybody who's going I I. I I, you know, it's funny. I talked to other people in, fa- in family businesses, and I I love to hear their stories because I feel much better. Is it comforting that I'm for not you? The only one that's going, <laughs> going through this, but you know, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting challenge going from second to third generation. I mean, they're they're totally committed and they love the business and and all that, but it's so much different. It's so much bigger from when it went from my dad to my brother and I. So just more complex. And, and so, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of money spent on lawyers and accountants. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so consultants. Well, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the team. You, I mean, obviously it's family run, but you've got a bigger team than that. And, and you've got folks, your partners in Michigan, you do something in Texas and Costa Rica. So, um, tell us about kind of who's making up this team and what everyone's doing for the success of the company. Yeah, correct. And thanks for asking that question because I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about our team because we would never be have the success that we've had without the the people that that work in our company and work on all of our teams because we have people all over the country and really all over the world as well um, believe it or not that are involved in our business and in our success uh, so we've got a great team of people in Loudon uh, that run our operations I mean we we have a, a little over a hundred people year round and then we we flex up to uh, over 250 people in our peak season. So, wow. um, you know, so we've got some great people there. But then Proven Winners is run as a completely different business. Uh, okay. And there's prob- there's that flexes anywhere from about 20 people to 50 people, depending on the season. And they're all over the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got people in California and Texas and Michigan and Illinois, all over the place. So, so we've got that. And then our breeding company and then our production company down in Costa Rica mm-hmm. and all the breeders we work with all over the world. Nice. Why so, Costa Rica? What was the um, Costa Rica is a, a, a the perfect climate to grow ah. plant material when we need it because mm-hmm. uh, those unrooted cuttings that I talked about earlier those are produced in Costa Rica in the winter time. Uh-huh. So growing <laughs> growing plants in the in in New Hampshire yeah. at a mass scale is hard in the winter time, and and we don't have the sunlight or the climate to do that very well. So we start all that stuff down in Costa Rica and send it up here. So believe it or not, we'll have one of those cuttings, which is just a little, like a one-inch little slip of a plant, Mm -hmm. a little stem of a plant. That'll be growing on a mother plant or a stock plant in Costa Rica, say on Monday, and and it'll get cut on Monday, and we'll have it in our facility on Wednesday morning. Oh, wow. See? And so I... Love it. You are a family business, as we were talking about, and that comes with its own unique challenges as well as benefits. Um, you know, and it, 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 each generation you, uh, that a, a business goes down, it, it's a smaller percentage of businesses that survive that transition. So, I mean, the fact that you have the three generation, the third generation working is 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 a testament. How do you make that work? You know, it's. You're, you're going, you're running a business with someone that, you know, 
gave you swirlies, not saying your brother did, but you know, <laughs> you go from that or, you know, your kids who, you know, you couldn't get to listen to, you know, pick up their rooms are now, you know, part of the business. It's, you know, how do you make that family dynamic work for the business so that it's an advantage instead of a challenge? Sure. I, you know, I, I would, uh, I, I have to start with my my parents, uh, my mom and dad, and what they instilled in us, and it was it was uh, you know just the love of family and hard work, hard work, hard work, mm-hmm. you know that that they instilled in us, and um, and I think that has translated down. You know, the nice thing about a family business, you're typically growing up near each other, so you you know you're you're growing up near your cousins you're growing up near your grandparents and and so that whole value system you know really went down through the the gener- has gone down through the generations uh very nicely and uh but it's a give and take you know i i um uh it it's and my son, my my son and my nephew might might say you know dispute this comment, but I <laughs> I, I think it, it you know it is it's listening to them and 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 giving them that rope mm-hmm. you know give them that rope not too much yeah, yeah keep it tight enough, <laughs> yeah but enough that you know they do trip and fall a little bit because that's the way you learn mm-hmm. and and that's and I think so it's it's that work ethic that we've taught um, that I was taught and that we've tried to instill in our kids uh, and then respect. Every each other, but most of all, count on good people to work with you and have respect, you know, of them and and with them and build that respect. And the other the other thing that I always try to tell them is hire people that are smarter than you. Don't be, <laughs> don't yep. be afraid to hire somebody smarter than you because that's what makes you successful. You surround yourself by by really good and smart people and and that's what's going to make you success and you just kind of you manage that and you massage it and mm-hmm. make that work. So did were your parents able to see part of where you took the business and were they surprised by how big it got? Oh, there. Yes. Um, yeah, we were lucky. I was lucky enough to, um, uh, my dad is still alive. He's 93 years old nice. and, and, Excellent. and he lives right up, up the road from the business. And, uh, he comes down every day on his little gar- golf cart and, and <laughs> he's checking in on everybody. And, and what's so cool to see is because we still have, we still have people that are, are in the business that were there when he was running, running things and the respect that he's, he's, you know, that he gets from those people. People, they just honor him when they when he comes down. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, they've they've seen it and uh, and they're very proud. And and uh, um, you know, we lost my mom about five years ago, and and but she was you know she was that that good matriarch that you know she she stood behind her husband and and took care of the family and and uh, and was very proud of what we've accomplished. Nice, nice. Well, it's been a. Um an interesting conversation, and I think we're we're I can say that we're glad that you know that Pleasant View and that you and the family are here in New Hampshire, have been here, are staying here, and that you've you know expanded even outside of here. So um, kudos to you on all the good work and innovation in the industry, and of course, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Nathan. Thank all you, right. Matt. It's been a pleasure. Henry Thank Huntington you. is president and CEO of Pleasant View Gardens. Thanks again. And now the buzz. So Smart Asset recently came out with a new survey taking a look at the best states for the middle class. And New Hampshire ranked 
third. We're up from number six in 2020. Oh, yeah, golf clap. Very nice. Very so, nice. So uh, they 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 take a look at several different metrics, okay. about seven of them, and the ones where New Hampshire really exceeded uh, was our percentage of middle class households, 44 percent of our households are considered middle class mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our surprised. home yep. ownership rate 73 okay. percent good for home ownership rate. look at us oh and medium household income when adjusted for cost of living is uh almost seventy-eight thousand dollars. so these are some of the ones that really kind of put us over the yeah. top there and so you know I, I i'd like to consider myself middle class um and i have to I'd say i'd consider you middle class if it's any <laughs> consolation <laughs> I, would, I would do it but i have to say you know i i think new hampshire overall is just a great place to live so i'm not surprised i guess to find us ranking up there right there's a quality of life that corresponds really well with the i don't know income level socioeconomic stuff as it were um there's you know maybe you don't want to spend a lot of money and you have a family uh, in terms of you know living and and enjoying yourself well that's why you can hike and bike and enjoy the outdoors and you know it's not like you have to you live in the city and you have to go to a you know a restaurant and spend $300 just to your, for your family to eat every, every time you want to do something interesting, you know? So there's, I mean, you could, if you wanted to, right. But at the same time, it's like you said, it's just a, it's a good place to live. And, and you could argue all, all day long up and down about, you know, political things and this and that and, and, and all, you know, and, and everything. But Overall, as a couple of middle class dudes, as it were, <laughs> we could probably say that it is. It's a good place to live, and and there's good, you know, good schools, good people that care about us and our families, and and that we can, you know, integrate into community, which is important. Well, and it speaks to what we part of what we consider New Hampshire advantages. We have a very well educated workforce, right? You know, and this just underlines the fact that um, we do have a lot of talent here in New Hampshire and we do have uh, a lot of folks that are in good paying jobs. And, um, you know, so for employers who are desperate for employees, Mm. I mean, at least it's a good field from which to choose. You know, the one concern I have is is it's great for the middle class. Mm. But, you know, what's it like for those that are on the lower end of the economic scale? You know, we are a state that relies heavily on service industry, hospitality, Uh um, and not that those are necessarily bad paying jobs, but they're not as great paying jobs no, and getting better but but you know we are such an expensive place to to live mm-hmm. you know so while we may be great for the middle class and i, I think there's a lot of middle class people that argue that the cost of living is such oh, that you know would, you, you would, struggle uh, yeah. i worry about what that means for folks that are living on that lower end of our economic scale about it, how they are able to get by here in, in the grand state likewise likewise but not to be a downer, we'll go back up to the fact that one, you know, the smart asset uh, report once again showing uh, one of the many reasons that the Grand State's a great place to be. There it is. That's what we're buzzing about this week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. Check out the Cardinal blog and learn about our services at cardinalconsultingnh.com. We're on social at Cardinal Consulting NH. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business New Hampshire Magazine and Cardinal Consulting.